All right, guys. Welcome, welcome. We got our Christmas crew here, it looks like. <laughs> but great to see you. Looking forward to spending some time together uh, today. Let's uh, open up and ask that God would bless our time together. Father, uh, we are here because of the fact that you have acted. Uh, Lord, before the foundation of the world, you made a plan to glorify yourself, and that plan included rescuing us from sin by the work of Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, you have done that. You have sent your Savior into the world. We're here to celebrate him and his birth, but especially his death and resurrection. And uh, Lord, you have made us a church that is uh, depending completely on him and what he's done on our behalf. And uh, we want to say thank you. We want to ask for your help to even just worship today. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would bless this time as we study your word. Please make us into a people who think the way we should think, feel the way we should feel, speak the way we should speak, and really live as a church uh, in a way that brings you great honor and glory. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Well, all right. Uh, we're going to talk a little uh, today about discipleship again, but um, one of the reasons why we're talking about discipleship has to do with our vision as a church. I wonder if uh, someone asked you, what is the vision for Cornerstone Bible Church? How would you re respond? Sometimes I feel a little funny when churches talk about uh, vision a lot because it almost feels like the wrong dire direction in a sense to start there because uh, a church doesn't begin with what we do for God. A church begins with what God has done for us, and it's always uh, really essential that we remember that or we get very, very confused. The church is not first and foremost about us building something for God, but it's about uh, enjoying and proclaiming what God has done. And uh, sometimes I feel a little funny answering that question, not just because it feels like it can take us the wrong direction, but also because you because you know what many people expect you to talk about when you talk about vision for a church. Uh, many people expect you to talk about things like uh, the place, like a facility. Uh, many people expect you to talk about things like um, lots of people, uh, the size. Many people expect you to talk about things like programs. So what's your vision? And you're supposed to describe some sort of program. And then uh, sometimes it, it revolves around a person's personality. And the reason I feel funny talking about those things as vision or dreams for a church is, is not because all of them are bad in and of themselves. So obviously you need a place uh, generally. A place is nice. It's, it's good for a church to be growing numerically with more and more uh, people, or at least it can be good. Uh, and programs and increased influence can be fine. But when you talk about vision for the church, it's hard to talk about any of those as must-haves. You know, like this has to happen in the next 10 years because the reality is they're not big goals in the Bible. Uh, when Paul's talking about the church, he's not saying, okay, I'm really just dreaming that you have an amazing facility or, oh, I'm, I'm just dreaming you really will be a church if you have this many people. They're not ultimate goals, at least. That doesn't mean, however, that there's not a vision. 
and this is important because we're Americans and we like structures and we like things and we're impressed by what we can see. And so a lot of times if we say, uh, my vision is to have this huge building in this area with these programs, there's actually a lot of people that will get excited about that and be like, wow, that, that sounds like a vision to us. And if we don't hear that, sometimes we don't think there's a big vision. But that's not true at all. It's just really a matter of order, actually. So if we're going to define our vision, we want it to be a vision where we could say, yes, I see where that flows out of Scripture. I see where you're getting that from. And so what's the vision then? for Cornerstone uh, Bible Church. There are a couple different passages that I think define the vision, but one big one is Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29. And you may not even need to turn there because it's such a um, classic passage. But in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Paul's talking about his ministry, and he says, we proclaim him, admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. And that last phrase, really, uh, is so essential. We want to present everyone complete in Christ, mature in Christ. That's the driving vision. Now, what does it mean to be mature in Christ? So that's the vision. We want to present everyone mature in Christ. We want to be a church filled with people who are growing in maturity. But what does that mean for us? Well, Paul gives a couple descriptions of what it means. He says uh, in Colossians 2, he talks about hearts being encouraged. He talks about uh, being knit together in love at the beginning of Colossians 2. He talks about having a full assurance and understanding of God's mystery. He talks about not uh, being easily fooled by false teaching, walking in Christ, being rooted in Christ, established in the faith, abounded, bounding in thanksgiving. So what do we want? We want to see people who are happy <laughs> in Jesus. We want to see people who are encouraged in Jesus. What's our goal? Uh, loving a place that is just sort of um, vibrating with biblical love. Uh, knowledge, uh, people that understand the gospel and not just sort of like as facts, uh, like the okay, this happened, this happened, but uh, people who have a full assurance, like a personal daily relationship with Jesus, uh, where the, the gospel is clearly providing uh, direction for their life, and where the gospel is providing um, daily sustenance or um, encouragement to them, a life that's impacted by the gospel, people who are strong, and uh, not easily moved, uh, people who are thankful, and people who are abounding in joy and grateful. And so what is, what's the vision? Colossians 1, 28 and 29, we are preaching and teaching and doing what we can do so that we'll be a church filled with people who are happy in Jesus, who have good, real friendships, who know the gospel, who can spot false teaching, who aren't attracted to false teaching, whose lives put Jesus on display, who are strong for Jesus in this world, and who are really, really, really content and thankful. So again, what's the vision? Vibrant Christians. Vibrant Christians, that's the vision. And if we have vibrant Christians, a lot of things can happen. A lot of things can happen and should be happening. I mean, 
It's one of the things that gets you so excited about the local church. When Christians are abiding in Christ, really abiding in Christ, and and being personally um, changed and transformed by Jesus on a daily basis, what can happen, the list is really endless of what can happen. Uh, Because when a bunch of vibrant Christians get together, they are positive and they're hopeful and they're excited and they're not willing. They're not willing to just live and die and go into the ground. They're wanting to partner together to serve Jesus. And so part of the goal for us as elders, leaders, is to help you learn how to do that, live for Jesus, uh, bear fruit to maximum effectiveness. Now, how does that happen? So that's the, the vision. How does that happen? How do we pursue that goal? Well, first of all, of course, we pray. Then we proclaim. Then we uh, live in community with one another, and we disciple. And so each of those is important. Like, what happens if we try to do church without prayer? Let's just uh, pack it in. Uh, what happens if we try to do church without preaching or equipping? Well, that, that's not really a church. What happens... If we try to do church without community, what happens if we try to do a church without discipleship? They're all important. Each one of those is important to us being vibrant, mature Christians, and yet one of the easiest to neglect is discipleship. And so that's the part we've been focusing in on this class because, at least as far as I've seen, just generally, this is something that's uh, been neglected over and over again, and and some would say this has been one of the big problems in missions, actually, over the years, a lack of discipleship. And so that's the part we've been focusing on, talking about how, and last week we uh, started talking about teaching, because when Jesus gives the command to go and make disciples, he says, baptize them and teach them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So obviously, discipleship almost by definition, involves teaching. And you remember, we want this to be a quipping hour, so we're trying to get practical with this. And so we've been asking a number of questions. One, why? Uh, Why do we teach? And uh, we said it because it's a command and also because we need it. You're born a spiritual baby in a sense, and you need teaching to, uh, to become mature. And you see that definitely in Ephesians 4 and all over. Now, who's supposed to teach? And as we looked at the scripture, we saw, yeah, for sure, leaders have a special responsibility. God does set apart uh, particular individuals for teaching. But at the same time, the Bible is really big on the fact that we all have a responsibility. So even the command to make disciples is not just for the apostles, it's for all of us. And so if we're going to obey that command, we need to teach. But there are many other passages like Romans 15, 14, Galatians 6, many other passages, which makes it clear that we all have some responsibility to teach. Then third, we asked, uh, what does it mean to teach? So uh, why teach? Who should teach? What does it mean to teach? This is all last week. And we said there's informal teaching, and we don't want to minimize that. So that means there's a lot of teaching that goes on just in everyday conversations. And we're actually going to talk about that kind of teaching more um, next at the beginning of next year because we have next week off and the next week off from equipping hour. So I should have announced that at the beginning. We don't have class uh, next week. Um, But we're going to talk about informal teaching next year. So everyday conversations. How do you teach through everyday conversations? But 
there's not only informal teaching, clearly as we look at the scriptures, there's also a more kind of formal or systematic teaching that disciples need. And you see that in the Bible. There's a, a, there was a formal process of basic instruction that new believers received. Even uh, sometimes Paul will talk about becoming a Christian or that early stage of being a Christian as learning Christ. Ephesians 4, he talks about it like that. And in the early church, they had something they called catechesis or uh, a catechism process. And we often think of catechism with young children, but many people don't become believers as young children. And so what happens often is because there's not this formal systematic teaching that takes place in their life, is they miss out on some of the basic instruction they really need for flourishing as Christians. And you know what it's like to try to learn something after people already think you're supposed to know it. It's almost harder sometimes because you have to really be humble to say, actually, I don't know that as well as you might think that I know that. And so uh, we believe that this is an important part of the kind of teaching that we need to do. Now, the, the question, of course, is what is it that we should make sure to teach? So this is maybe the, the fourth question or so. What, what should we teach? If we're to make disciples by teaching, and one of the ways we should teach is even a formal kind of teaching, instruction, catechesis, um, what should we teach? And I'm, I'm imagining uh, that you're looking at the person you want to disciple, and you're thinking, what is it that they must absolutely know? So this is going to be good for our transformation groups. This is going to be good for uh, parenting. This is going to be good for any kind of uh, relationship in which you're trying to teach someone else how to live for Christ. And I, I'm, I want to be as practical as possible so you can actually do something with this. So what I'm trying to do is give you information that you can take so that when you ask me, well, I'm supposed to disciple this person, I don't know what to teach them. I'm going to be like, hey, remember we had that equipping hour? And I spent like 30 minutes walking through that. So I'm not going to be just giving you like, hey, index cards where you say, A, say this, and then like B, say that. But what I am going to be doing is giving you like some things to think about that you could use to teach when you disciple uh, others. And even, really, even your children. These are these are things that you could teach and should. This, these are all things that, but by the time my kids are 18, I would want them, I would want to make sure that I have discipled them in, that I've taught them in, and actually even in a kind of haphazardly systematic way, if that's possible. Um, that's kind of parenting too. So I, I don't want to be um, so rigid that we're all saying the same thing, uh, no matter who we're talking to, but I do want to give you some ideas. And so what I did was I started looking at the Apostle Paul and the way that he discipled. And I think if you look at the Apostle Paul, you can identify several basic fundamentals that you need to make sure you, that you teach. Or at least uh, we need to make sure the people we're discipling understand. And this is even helpful for counseling because sometimes in counseling you go so fast and you, uh, so many of the problems are come back to the people you're counseling didn't actually understand this. Um, so, of course, they're not going to understand the more uh, complicated things. But first, of course, what do you want the people you're discipling to know? First, of course, is the gospel. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Paul says, 
Uh, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. So it's like he delivered it to them. It's almost like a technical word, that word received. In which you stand and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And uh, it's really easy for us to assume that people know the gospel. And so we're talking to someone, and they say they're Christians, and they go to church, and we just assume they understand the gospel, and that is a very dangerous assumption to make. Um, When people say they believe the gospel, they can mean almost anything. They can mean, uh, I go to church. They can mean, I call myself a Christian. They can mean, I had a religious experience. They can mean, I am basically a, a good person. And all those things are fine, but none of them are the gospel. And if you wonder, okay, isn't he being a little silly? Like, is it really that hard for people to to, to not understand the gospel? Look at the history of the church. (laughs) Just just look at the book of Galatians. They had like the apostle Paul as their teacher. And it's not very long after that. He's like, what? You guys, I can't even believe it. I'm shocked that you're, you're... losing track of the gospel. And so very practically, this means when we're going to disciple people and they say they're Christians, we need to be asking them what that means. And when they say, I love Jesus, we should ask them why. And when they say they believe the gospel, we should ask them what it is. So a great discipleship question, just sort of at the beginning is, hey, let's talk about the gospel. How would you, how would you explain the gospel? Or Another good question is, what is it that you love about the gospel? Because then you're trying to move past just uh, sort of like facts. I can recite the facts like in Sunday school, and you're trying to see, is there like a heart beating under there um, for, for the gospels actually impacting them personally, where they're enjoying it? Because the gospel's like, it's like uh, bread or milk. It's like, it's not something that you just enjoyed 20 years ago. The gospel is something that to survive spiritually and to thrive spiritually, you need to be enjoying that like day after day after day after day. And so if you're around someone who's a real Christian, it might be that they, they're, they're a little stale and they haven't been enjoying the gospel for a while, but the gospel starts heating their, their hearts up and they want to get back to the point where they're enjoying and delighting in, in the gospel. And uh, in 2 Peter 1, uh, Peter, so the point is, this is for helping people who are not Christians, but at the same time, talking about the gospel is also important for those of us who are Christians and is something that real Christians will delight in and uh, need to delight in. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter talks about Christians who aren't growing, and he explains why. And listen to how Peter explains the reason why these Christians aren't growing. Um, He says, for whoever lacks these qualities, the qualities of a growing Christian that he's just described in the previous verses, is so short-sighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. And uh, so I don't think he's meaning literally like, oh, this person totally forgot that the Bible teaches about forgiveness. I think he's saying this person, the reason he's not growing is because He's not enjoying, he's not remembering what God has accomplished for him in the cross. And I think that's also part of why we have communion. Jesus told the disciples, you, 
supposed to celebrate communion to remember. And I don't think it was that Jesus was like, these disciples really aren't smart, so I'm guessing that I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. Probably maybe like five years from now, they're going to literally forget that that ever happened. Like Peter, do you remember what happened five years ago? He's like, no, I don't remember. I don't think when he said have communion, it was to only get them to remember the facts. Part of the purpose of communion is so that we would delight in what God has done for us. And so if you're wondering, where do I start with people when it comes to teaching in discipleship? It's hard to go wrong when you start with the gospel. The only way uh, you could go wrong with that is if you have an inadequate understanding of the gospel yourself when you think it's just reciting a few words over and over to someone. Um, the gospel is simple, and, and, and you can understand it, but it's also profound. And so with the gospel, there's enough to talk uh, about with someone who's new to the Christian faith, and at the same time, someone who's been a Christian for years and years and years and years and years and years. Um, in fact, a lot of what I do as a pastor is just reminding people who have heard the gospel for many years of why the gospel is so great, week after week after week after week, because we desperately, desperately need it. So how, if you were going to get even more specific, how could you disciple someone and teach them what the Bible has to say about the gospel? What would you do if you were going to try to do that? Well, first, you might begin with passages in the scripture that explain the gospel. So you might get a list of passages in the Bible that explain the gospel, and you go through those passages one by one. I just uh, did this with Paul. This is a start, but I'll give you a number. I don't know if I wrote them down already. Probably not, because I probably wanted you to work here. But Acts 9.20, Acts 13.16-47, Acts 17.1-4, Acts 17.22-31, these are all just passages where Paul gives a summary, his summary of the gospel. And so what I'm saying is if I were discipling or you're discipling someone, you want to start with the gospel, go back to these little short nuggets or short summaries of the gospel and start saying, well, what does that teach me about the gospel? Acts 19.8, Acts 20, 20 through 21, Acts 26, 4 through 23, Acts 28, 17 to 29, um, you, I think, can do this, but I, if not, uh, Romans 1, 1 to 5, Romans 10, 9 to 13, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21, Galatians 1, 1 to 5, Ephesians 3, 4 to 13, Philippians 2, 6 to 11, Colossians 1, 21 to 23. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 to 10. I don't know if I'm just reading these for myself, but uh, 1 Timothy 1, 15, 2 Timothy 1, 10, and uh, Titus 3, 4 to 7. Um, now, if you didn't write those down, then you better be able to go find Paul's summaries of the gospel because I'm not just saying this for myself. I'm saying this so you can do. So when you ask me, how do I disciple in a T-cell? I don't know what to do. I'm going to say, hey, remember we talked about it at equipping class. A great place to start is with the gospel. And remember how I said one thing you could do is go back to all those passages and just walk through how the Apostle Paul explains the gospel. And if you're wondering what you could do with those scripture references, well, you could begin with the person you're teaching, getting out a Bible and a piece of paper. You read through the text. You mark down what does it say about the gospel? What do these passages mean? What is it? 
what's the significance? Why does Paul, when he wants to say the gospel, why does he go there? You could ask them, how do they apply? What kind of encouragement should you receive from these texts? And this would be a great thing to do as a dad with your kids. If there's one thing you want them to enjoy when they grow up, it's the gospel. So great family devotion is, is just to go through some passages in the scripture that talk about the gospel and then read them and just ask your kids, what do you think they mean? And if they're like, I have no idea what that means, then you, gotta, then you know what you need to teach them. Right? That would be if they're like quoting Calvin and, you know, and it's explaining how it makes their heart beat. And then, then you're like, okay, we can come back to this and we'll keep going to the next passage because you're like, wow, taught you well. Uh, a second way you could help someone understand the basics of the gospel better would be, so the first way would be looking at the passage. A second way is you could look at some key biblical terms, words that are important for understanding the gospel, and then you work your way through a biblical definition of each. So if you're wondering what kinds of words I'm talking about, let me give you a list of 10 words associated with Christ's work to start, and then you can enjoy looking for more. So atonement would be a big word. Justification would be another word. Propitiation, expiation, redemption, reconciliation, substitution, imputation, union with Christ, sanctification. I did say those fast, but that's just because for no reason, but <laughs> I just said them fast. You could ask me for those later, but um, if you say words like justification and the person's eyes glaze over, your goal is like, there's one of two reasons. Like one, maybe they're not a Christian. Two, maybe they don't know what that word means. Three, maybe they're just stale right at that point. And so either way, your prayer is, Lord, help this person's eyes to light up when I say the word propitiation. <laughs> when they think about the word propitiation, I want to see that to be a word that makes their heart beat a little faster. If you're wondering what to do with those terms, one thing you could do is you could find every time those terms are used in scripture and then see how the scripture explains them. So you could go to every time there's propitiation and try to figure out what does the scripture mean by that. Another, if, you're, if you can, you get a, they have actually dictionaries of theological terms. And uh, so there's one called a Dictionary of Theological Terms by Alan Carnes. There's another called the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms. And you could work through the definitions there. They'll actually give a, a definition, and you can kind of work through and make sure uh, that you understand it and, and not just understand it, but enjoy it. A third approach you could do is you could just pick up a catechism and work through the sections on the gospel that you find in a catechism. And there are a number of helpful ones. There's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. There's the Westminster Longer Catechism. There's the Heidelberg Catechism. It's Charles Spurgeon has a catechism that you can find online if you type in Spurgeon or Puritans and catechism. There's a newer catechism, that's okay. It's called the, the, the New City Catechism, and we won't agree with everything in those catechisms, but they do give a start at least. Uh, there's apps for your phone now, actually, where uh, catechisms, apps, where they'll have the question, they'll even have a song sometimes that uh, um, sort of gives the answer, they'll have scripture verses. Um, and what you could do with these catechisms is you could work through their explanations of the gospel. You could try to memorize the answers. That's originally what those catechisms were for, was to memorize the answers. 
Um, define the terms. Try to have the person you're teaching prove that it's true from the scripture, because ultimately the scripture is the authority. If what it's saying isn't quite accurate, then you have to prove that it's not accurate from God's word and why it's not true. Um, and the nice thing about the catechisms is that they're in question and answer format, so they basically force a discussion. Still another way to go about it, and I'm just trying to show you there's lots of ways to go about it, is you could get a set of messages uh, that we've preached at church on the gospel or uh, another set of messages on the gospel. You could listen to the messages together, or you could listen to it, make your own study guide with questions, give them the questions as they listen, because what you're trying to do there is teach them how to listen to a message. So this, I mean, if you can teach somebody how to listen for, to a message, you've just fast-forwarded them, because so often, like, our minds are, like, wandering, and, and it's hard for us to, to, to know what the person's doing. And so if you can teach them how to identify the main important parts of a message while they're listening, you've really blessed them. And so one way you can do that is by listening yourself and trying to ask questions that will force them to sort of listen uh, well to the, to the sermon. And uh, then you can get together and uh, talk about their, their answers. A good question to ask anytime you have somebody listen to a message and you get together to talk about it later is you just ask them, what stood out to you? And a lot of times that, that will tell you something about them. So, you know, if they like, say what stood out to you and it was like this minor argumentative like detail that wasn't even the main point of the message but they just want to you know like f fight about that and like okay you just you know in your mind you're like wow okay this is something that we're gonna have to work <laughs> work with this if this guy's always looking for things to fight about when he listens to messages that's going to be a hard way i got to figure out why that's happening and that's going to be a hard way for him to grow um one more approach when it comes to teaching the gospel would be to go through a good book on the gospel together. You have them read a chapter, then you get together, you discuss that chapter. If you don't know what to discuss, just ask them, what was the main point of the chapter? What was confusing in the chapter? What did you learn from the chapter? Was there anything in the chapter you didn't agree with? How can you be different as a result? Always try to get to how can you be different as a result, because then you're also teaching them. This isn't just information. It's like we're supposed to be impacted in a, in a specific way um, from, the, from what we're reading. And that was five questions right there that you could ask them. And I'd encourage you, don't just read any book, um, but read a classic. Uh, here's, here's five good books for understanding the gospel. First, The Gospel for Real Life by Jerry Bridges. Um, not too hard to read, and yet it's deep at the same time. It comes with a study guide. You could have a person that you're working through work through that study guide. A second great book is The Cross of Christ by John Stott. Um, hard to recommend that book more. All of Grace by Charles Spurgeon. Um, if you give that book to someone and they're not skipping by the end of it, you're like, okay, wow, let's read that again, because that is like, whoo, all of grace, sure. Um, at least skipping in their heart. Not everybody can skip very well, though. Uh, a fourth book that's pretty devotional, uh, Christ Alone by Sinclair Ferguson. There's some simple explanations of the gospel out there, like that two ways to live, twowaystolive.com. 
very, uh, very simple explanation of the gospel. So we want to teach people the gospel. That's first. What do we teach? First, we have to make sure we teach the gospel. A second component of our teaching, the first is the gospel. A second component would be the truths in the scripture that, that help us understand the gospel. So there are truths in the Bible that you, you, can, you can't say they are the gospel, but they lay the foundation for understanding the gospel. So one example of that would be the overarching story of the Bible that runs from creation to restoration. You can't say God creating the world, that is the good news. But, you can under, but, but understanding that God is the creator of the world is essential for understanding the good news. And I'm not going to give you all the truths you should study through with the people you're discipling, but let me give you some categories of truth that you need to work through with them that will help them understand the gospel better. First and foremost, God. Who is God? What is he like? Um, and we can get more specific under that heading. We could say uh, we need to teach about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we need to help them understand what it means to say God is one and yet exists in three persons. And then we can look at what it means that God is Father. And then we can look at the work of Jesus and the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So God, Scripture, this is where you talk about things like the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the inerrancy of Scripture. You could explain sola scriptura. Uh, another thing that's really helpful with almost anyone is to work through how to study the Bible. Um, if the only time they're able to eat once a week is once a week when the pastor preaches, that's it's going to be a slow growth. So one of the first things you want to do as a discipler is make sure the person that you're uh, discipling knows how to eat on their own and then also that they are. Third, there's what the Bible teaches about man and sin. Um, and so you'll want to look at man before the fall, how did God originally create man, then man after the fall, man after salvation, and what man will be like after the resurrection, resurrection man. A fourth, there's the necessary response to the gospel. Um, you're not just saved by knowing the gospel, you have to respond to it through faith and repentance. But what do those words mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to repent of your sins? Um, sometimes you'll find people who say they're Christians, and yet their idea of faith and repentance is actually far from the way Scripture defines them. And that's a problem. It's not just a problem at the beginning of the Christian life. It's a problem for the whole Christian life because the whole Christian life is one of faith and repentance, really. Then fifth, there's the doctrine of the church. Uh, you want to help the person you're discipling understand the significance of the church, the nature of the church, how to live within the church, God's goal for the church. You might ask them, what do you think are the marks of a gospel-centered, faithful, biblical church? Six, there's a truth that uh, Jesus and Paul both like to talk about that you'll want to work through. That's something the Bible calls the kingdom of God. And I, I hope we're, again, I hope we're teaching all these things at church, and I, I would love to get to the point where we have like a regular classes on these subjects, almost like a Bible institute or something. But 
at the same time, I think some of these truths, if you're deliberate, you can have a really beneficial and spiritually profitable time learning together with the people you're wanting to influence. And so there's advantages to a bigger class in that you can say more quickly. But one of the disadvantages so often to a bigger class is you think you're communicating well, and you're not always communicating as well as, uh, as you think. And you find out later, wow, people had a lot of questions that they didn't get answered, and you just uh, weren't able to, to answer them all in that setting. And so that individual, working through some of these harder topics individually uh, is really, really important because it gives people a chance to actually be honest about what they don't, don't understand. Because the goal is not just, uh, obviously the long-term goal is not just the person teaching feeling like he's done a great job um, and people not knowing what they're talking about. Uh, the goal is actual understanding. That was one of the funny things about uh, missions work overseas is that if you go to a super respectful culture, sometimes you can think you're an amazing teacher and then uh, you know that person will leave and you ask the person, what did you get from that? They're like, no idea, no clue what he was talking about. And so that's not ultimately, but he went home feeling pretty good about himself. Uh, uh, but that's not the goal. Uh, you say, I'm not sure I could teach them all this. I'm not saying you're gonna be able to give them the full answer to all these things, but you can give them a start and, and then give them a chance to think it through with another person. Well, how do you do it? One way you could do this, again, is by taking these categories and working through scriptures under each one. So if you're talking about the category of God, go to a concordance. There's a long list of verses even in the back of most of your Bibles. Start working through every verse that talks about God, which is probably going to take your whole life. So that's going to take more than 20 weeks, but it's a place to start. Another way to do it would be to do what Isaiah's doing with that uh, uh, systematic theology. And then... Um, you might look up the section on the character of God and you start marking down every verse he quotes and then you work through those verses with the person you're discipling and then maybe even just his explanation of those verses. Another way you could uh, do it is find good internet resources on some of these subjects. Um, obviously, there's a lot of bad internet resources. That's part of the, the problem, but there are some good ones out there. Uh, biblicaltraining.org. Pretty top-notch, uh, some of the best teachers in the world for free. You can download a whole course on God, and you could have them listen to the course and, and work through it together once a week. Ligonier Connect, they have an amazing site with homework and videos to watch. It doesn't cost very much, Ligonier Connect. BiblicalElearning.org is another. BibleArc.com has more to do with how to study the Bible, but has some good courses. Another called ChristianUniversity.org has a lot of courses on there as well, that, and uh, many, most of them are pretty good. Another way to do it would be to go to a website like Desiring God, and uh, then you look through their resource section, and you see it's all organized by topic. You can start listening to some of those uh, lectures or uh, es reading some of those essays, and then you work through what they teach on that subject with the person that you're discipling. But the point is there's lots of options. There's lots of options. We live in an amazing time where we have access to so much good material that we can use for helping people understand the gospel and uh, truths that are foundational for the gospel. A third component uh, of what we need to be teaching the people we're discipling would be how to live in a way that's worthy of the gospel. So the gospel, 
So dads, if you're thinking, what do I teach my kids? I'm telling you right now, the gospel, you want to teach your kids uh, truths that they need to understand, to understand the gospel, and then you want to teach them how to live in a way that's worthy of the gospel. So what you want to do is take the gospel and help people connect it to their everyday lives, because this is probably where there's a huge gap in a lot of people's lives. Um, Teach, Paul says to Titus, what accords with sound doctrine. Teach the sound doctrine. Teach the way of living that matches up with the sound doctrine. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to help people make a connection between what they believe and how they live. So you want them to see, okay, going through life complaining is a functional denial of God's sovereignty. So you want to see them make that that connection. Or you say it another way. Not abounding in thanksgiving is a denial of God's sovereignty. So this is a this action is practical heresy. <laughs> like racism. What is racism? It's heresy. It's a kind of heresy because it's a denial of justification by faith alone and a lot of other biblical truths. But what you're trying to see is you're trying to help people make a connection between the gospel and how they live. Because what happens without direction, is that people say they believe the gospel at church, um, but they're living out of step with the gospel and more in line with the way the world works. And so this is also one of the skills you want to see if your disciple, the person you're discipling has. Like you might, they might be having trouble communicating with their wife, and you might say, and they're explaining some of the ways they're speaking down to her, and you say, what does the gospel have to say about the way you're talking to your wife. And if they're like, I've got no clue, none, then you know, well, we're not gonna go much further until you're able to make that connection. You have to be able to make that connection. Otherwise, I'm just gonna tell you, speak nicely. And that's just putting on a behavior. This, this way of talking has to do with not believing something. And so I gotta get to the sin underneath the sin. And you have to get to the sin underneath the sin and see, see what is it that they're not connecting? What dots are they not connecting? And so what are some of the key things you need to teach your disciples? I guess I'm going to do the whole class today. Sorry, guys, it's we're at 945. But you get two weeks off after this. So <laughs> some of the key things you need to teach your disciples in terms of how to live. There's a lot, obviously, but a great book to uh, work through to see this would be Ephesians the book of Ephesians, because in Ephesians 1 to 3, great and glorious gospel. Ephesians 4 to 6, it's like this beautiful pivot almost, but it's not, but it's like a pivot. Let me help you see how the gospel should completely change the way you think about life. And so let me just run through some of the things that Paul brings up in Ephesians 4 to 6 as he's trying to connect the dots for the Ephesian church. And I'm just going to summarize Paul, Ephesians 4 to 6. One, you need to teach them how to live in the church family and the purpose of the church. That's where Paul begins in Ephesians 4. Two, you need to teach them practical Christian living qualities like the following, speaking truth. What does, and you can even think of how Paul does this in Ephesians 4, what does speaking the truth have to do with the gospel? And specifically, one of the benefits of the gospel, because he says, speak the truth to one another, and then he gives a reason that's connected back to the gospel. A dealing with anger would be another. Their attitude towards money and work, the way they communicate, how to respond when others sin against them. 
Sacrificial love, sexual purity, being controlled by the spirit rather than a desire for pleasure, how to honor God in the marriage relationship, how to raise their children, how to deal with ungodly authority, how to be godly when you're the person in authority, and then the whole topic of spiritual warfare. That's all the end of Ephesians. It's really a, a discipleship course if you look at the end of Ephesians. And I know that's a lot of suggestions, but what, what I want to do is give you a vision. There is so much to be done in terms of discipleship. There's so much. Um, and then, two, you're not on your own with this. This is part of why the church is here. And then, third, I just want to be practical so you can start. That, there, there is somewhere for you to start. And it's so important we do help each other with these practical kinds of issues. Um, you can imagine a child who grows up on his own and tries to figure everything out. If he didn't have anyone directing him, you wouldn't be uh, surprised if he, he becomes an adult and he's confused about life. I'm still, you know, trying to figure out how to uh, barbecue well because I didn't grow up being taught how to barbecue. Some guys, their dads taught them that. Or camping, it took me a long time to figure out camping because um, we always stayed at hotels. So you probably know, even in your own life as an adult, oh, wow, it took me a little longer to figure some of those things out because I didn't have a, a dad who was doing that particular training, trained me in lots of other ways, but not those, some of those particular things. And that's true for people who become Christians sometimes too. They don't, if they don't have someone who's helping them grow in connecting the dots, it's not really very surprising uh, that they have a hard time connecting those dots, especially you think about just the little bit of work that we do on Sundays, one or two hours a week, and in a very particular passage, like uh, say we're in the genealogies of Jesus, that has a lot to say about a lot of things, but there's still a lot of other areas of life that we need to, we need to address. And so discipleship, what you can do in discipleship, hopefully is fast forward some of that for people. Get involved in their life and help them learn what they need to learn so they can continue to grow, move forward. So the gospel, truths you need to understand, to understand the gospel, uh, ways, ways of living that match up with the gospel. And then the fourth thing that we need to make sure we teach the people we're discipling is the amazing benefits and privileges that flow out of the gospel. And so uh, one of the things that it's almost like we, we have to do with people is read the, their will every, you know, help them understand what's in the will. Um, because Jesus has purchased all kinds of incredible blessings for us. And yet so many Christians don't appreciate those blessings. So it's almost like we're lawyers and we have to go back to the will and be like, okay, now this is what Jesus purchased for you. This is yours. This is yours. I, I think you've probably heard the story about that uh, man who had been a slave and he was poor his entire life. Somehow, later in his life as an old man, he received an inheritance and he had something like $50,000, which was a lot of money back then. But after being told about all this money, weeks went by. He never went to the bank. He never withdrew any of it. And this was so strange. The banker, I guess it was a small town, he went to him and he told him, you know you can withdraw this money anytime you want. And the former slave, he responded by saying, okay, um, wow, uh, do you think I could have 50 cents so I could buy a bag of cornmeal? And the point is that he didn't have any idea of the value of his inheritance, whether that's a true story or not. The idea is that he didn't have any idea of the value of his inheritance. And a lot of believers spend their lives like that. They need to not only be told that they have an inheritance, 
They need somebody to get in their lives and show them how great the resources they've been given in Christ really are. And uh, this, is, this is a fun topic that you could work through for a long time. This is where you could go through the beginning of Ephesians. Ephesians 1 to 3 is a really long explanation of the privileges we have in Christ. Or you could go to Colossians. Almost half of Colossians is about who we are in Christ. But let me give you a couple topics you should cover. Election. So election, uh, you'll have to think about how to cover that. Well, uh, but that is actually in the scripture is a, a means of assurance and hope. So ultimately, if you're coming out of the doctrine of election just debating, then you're not quite where the scripture is when it comes to election. And that's kind of good, too, because you have to be like, what, 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 piece is not, what, piece, what is not clicking that this is not, that I'm not ending up in the same place as Paul when it comes to election? Because Paul is in the right place because he's inspired by God. So if I don't end up in the right place as Paul worshiping God as a result of this, there must be something in my understanding that is out of place. And so that's almost like a, a sign that I need to go back and figure out, okay, what is not clicking that I'm not enjoying this? But another would be glorification. Adoption. Uh, these are all actually from Ephesians, so you could do it on your own. Grace, redemption, forgiveness. You could check a lot of people... Uh, um, accidentally have more of a Catholic view of justification or forgiveness, even though they would say they're Protestants. Uh, a lot of people. The, the, the idea that many people have is like, God, uh, when I get saved, he forgives me of all my past sins, and he gives me some grace, and then from now on here, I got to keep it, I got to keep it up to the, to the, the God is happy with me level, which is not a biblical view of justification. The, uh, the question, I mean, there were certain questions in Africa I absolutely knew every single time I would preach on a topic, a lot of people would have, almost everybody would have. And if I met somebody new the first time, I knew they would have that question every time. I mean, I, I, at first I thought, you can't say every time, but it really was like every time. And the question that people would have almost every time would be, if I go outside, and I say I, just became, I say I just sinned, and I had been a Christian my whole life, or not my whole life, but I became a Christian, and then I sin, and then I go outside, and I get hit by a bus, and I didn't repent before I got hit by the bus. Do I go to heaven or hell? And boy, they, they couldn't understand if you said uh, you go to heaven. Um, because you're saved by what Christ did, not by these continual acts of uh, repentance. Though, of course, as believers, we need to repent, but you're saved by what Christ has done. So if somebody says, uh, when you were you saved, you could say, you know, there's a sense in which you could say 2,000 years ago, you know, a Jewish man, Jewish man died on the cross. That's the source of my uh, salvation. But anyway, the point is, whether that gets us off track or not, the point is that there are certain benefits of salvation. You want to press on and make sure people really are appreciating them. Their inheritance in Christ, the sovereignty of God at work for the good of the believer, the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the believer, 
uh, the greatness of God's power towards us who believe, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, the connection between Jesus and the church, the new birth, God's commitment to the sanctification of the believer, union with Christ, reconciliation, uh, God's indwelling of the believer, the unique privilege of New Testament revelation, uh, the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The older I get, the more I realize that is one of the key questions the Bible's answering is, uh, the New Testament is answering is, what is the connection between the New Testament and the Old Testament? How do these two parts fit together? One great thing about the Bible, too, is you know if it's not interesting to you, you're wrong. So I love that because it just clarifies things. It's like if I come to this, that's not the question I have. I have the wrong question because God's a lot smarter than me. So I must somehow have gotten off track. So if he's telling me this is an important question, then it is an important question. Um, the church as family of God, the relationship between believers, the love of God for believers, the future plan of God for believers, the spiritual gifts God has given believers. Those are just from the book of Ephesians. But uh, if we're going to disciple well, uh, and that's part of our vision, we want to see vibrant Christians. So for there to be vibrant Christians, there's a lot that's needed. But one of the things that's needed is for us to be a church filled with people who can disciple others. How do you do that? One thing you're going to have to do is teach. And certainly that's going to involve everyday conversations. But it's also going to involve a more formal kind of instruction. And... Uh, if you say, but I don't know what to do, I don't know what to teach, the gospel would be one, truths you need to understand to understand the gospel, um, how to live in a, a way that's worthy of the gospel, and uh, the privileges and blessings that you uh, receive as a result of the gospel. Those are four, that's like a curriculum that you can design on your own um, if you want to, if you're going to uh, make disciples. And, and teach.